is it set up to disconnect us from land, but it's also set up to make us think that this is all that there is and that there's nothing beyond this. And so I think part of the work of creating an anti-colonial future is starting to break down those thought patterns and and resist that feeling of trappedness within these systems and start dreaming about different ones. Welcome back to another episode of Sprouting Conversations. This is a podcast recorded on the Kwangan territories, where we chat with youth in our community who are doing rad work related to food justice. I'm Hannah Estabrook, and today I'll be co-hosting the podcast with the lovely Laja Warren. In this episode, we're chatting with our good friend Sid about the work they do at the University of Victoria's Campus Community Garden. We discuss the ways that growing food can help us move beyond the gender binary, find collective healing, and enable us to imagine anti-colonial futures. Sid also shares their thoughts about the complicated reality of being a settler and growing food on stolen Indigenous lands. Thanks for joining us. I hope that today's conversation brings you as much joy and inspiration as it's brought to me. Welcome back to Sprouting Conversations. Um, I'm Laja Warren and I am here today with Hannah and Sid. Hi there, I'm Hannah. I'm going to be helping uh, with our interview today. I've also been featured on an episode of this podcast in the past, so I'm really excited to be on the other end of the recording and continue being involved with this project. Thank you. And before we get started, I also just wanted to share a little story of something that happened to me this morning that I think is really relevant to this podcast and the work we're doing. Uh, Normally, before I start any meeting or any work of mine, I go outside in my backyard and I pray. And I was sitting out there and I was just like talking and talking about how excited I was for this episode because it's with two people that I really cherish. And I think that this conversation is going to be great. And then... I saw a hummingbird come like right in front of my face, like right in front of me. And it just like stood there for a very long time. And I was taught that hummingbirds are messengers and they carry messages. And I just felt like that was really relevant to a podcast where it's all about sharing our stories and sharing uh, our thoughts and opinions of food and land. And so I, I just felt like that was a really good start to this podcast and now I'm like extra excited to like share all of these stories and create like a bridge of information for people to access this. Mm-hmm. That's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing, Laja. Totally. Uh, yeah, I was really happy about it and it really made me feel excited and ready to start this episode. Mm-hmm. What a great tone for the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay, well, Sid, I'd love if you could also... Um, introduce yourself in any way that's meaningful for you. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you both for for having me here and for taking the time to chat with me. I I also cherish both of you and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, I'm Sid and I'm a white queer settler. I grew up on Anishinaabe territory in so-called Ontario, in so-called Ontario, and now I'm currently located in Lekwungen with Saanich territories. And I'm really passionate about growing food. And I guess we'll get more into that later. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here today, Sid. We're really looking forward to this conversation. Um, just to start off in a bit of a light way, uh, we would love if you could tell us a short story about one of your favorite childhood snacks. Hmm. Yeah, when I was growing up, we we had this house in just like classic suburbia, Ontario, that had a garden in the front. And my dad used to grow tomatoes in that garden, and he would string the tomatoes all the way up to the eaves trough that was like 12 feet high, wow. and the yeah. tomatoes would grow all the way up. Um, and I, first of all, loved that, that we had like this this 
shield or blanket of tomatoes that made our our front porch a safe space but also the tomatoes that my dad grew were so wonderful and I think Hannah this is similar to what you said in your podcast but my my favorite snack was um a piece of sourdough rye toast toasted with butter and cheese and a really thick slice of tomato Mm, so good yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. delicious (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's wild that your dad was able to grow like 10 foot tall tomatoes um, <laughs> yeah. the tomatoes I grew this summer did not climb high but they just became like an enormous tangled forest <laughs> tomatoes are certainly vigorous in many directions <laughs> absolutely yeah. oh, that's awesome I always find I've always had a big challenge with growing tomatoes so I am envious of your family for being that <laughs> with it <laughs> Right. They're definitely particular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Uh, my next question for you is, what is your current relationship with food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to start the morning. <laughs> I feel like relationship with food, my relationship with food is so complicated and nuanced and um, has so many positive facets and a couple negative facets and um I'd say my main current relationship with food is growing food and and tending to plants and and loving them and and that process but I also obviously eat food and have a relationship with food in that way but I I've kind of recently discovered or realized about myself that my relationship with food in the eating sense has always been either I think about it too much or I think about it not enough. And, um, and so growing food and having that relationship with food has actually been super healing for me in that, like, I feel more inspired to, to be passionate about and to love the act of eating food when I've taken so much time and effort to grow, grow the food myself and to see where it came from. And I've nurtured that plant for, for six months um and it's it's a gift it's instead of something that I've had to trundle to the grocery store which is a very overstimulating place and (laughs) spend spend money on on food that I'm not sure where it came from and all that like chaos that can spin inside my head around food um so yeah that's that's a short a short an answer as I can give you (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate all of the guests being so authentic in their responses because that's definitely a heavier question. And we can talk about so many different levels of like what food looks like, whether it's the growing side or the eating side. And I I definitely think there's an ebb and flow with that and how that relationship looks and what parts of it we are more um, connected with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always find I'm a lot more connected. I think Sid, you and I talked about it in the past. Like we're so connected to food when we're growing it, like during the summer times when we can really, uh, like you said, have a relationship with it for a period of time where we're not just grabbing it from a store at the like final stages of its life. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, So for the next question, Sid, I'm hoping that you could tell us a little bit more about some of the work that you do in the world. So that can be uh, a bit of the work you get paid for under capitalism uh, and also work that you're doing in your personal time. Uh, Just currently, what occupies you? I currently work for the Uvic Campus Community Garden, and that is about a 1.6 acre space on quote-unquote UVix land um, that has been divided up into 90 plots, most of which are rented out to students, staff, and faculty of UVic, and then some of which are managed by um, me and other staff members. And our goal is really to reduce as many material and educational barriers as possible to students growing their own food. So we try and do lots of education. We have opportunities for volunteers to come into the space. And then also as staff, we grow a lot of food and all of that food is either given away or donated as a value um, of our organization. We don't sell anything that we grow. So that's something that I I really love. Um, And so I do a lot of thinking about what it means to to grow food and 
and to grow food in this place and and who has access to growing food. And I think that carries a lot out of my professional life into my personal life and, and occupies me in that space as well. Um, and then on top of that, I'm a student at UVic as well. And or I, I try to be minimally a student. <laughs> um, and then I, I do a lot of work with horses currently um, and exploring what it means to be in relationship with other than human beings and, and thinking about having a deep listening to, to other than human beings is something that I'm thinking about a lot recently. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. I can see how the work that you do does carry through in so many different aspects of your life from your studies to the work you get paid for, as well as what you do in your personal time. There's so much interconnection. Uh, in, in what you're doing in the world that's mm-hmm. yeah that's beautiful thanks for sharing mm-hmm. yeah and it really shows that you're doing what you love to do as well mm-hmm. which is awesome mm-hmm. amazing uh the next question i had for you here is what drew you to, to working with food systems and the land and where did that interest really come from because it really sounds like it's become a huge part of your life in every area of it so i'm curious to hear about where where that passion really um really came from and when it started to resonate with you? Yeah, I, I don't think I have like a specific moment, but when I was growing up, we used to visit, um, we, we lived in a very suburban Ontario area. Um, and I never, I never felt at home there and I never felt quite like myself there, but we used to visit, um, the Bruce Peninsula or Saugeen Ojibwe territories quite, quite often. And it's just a different world. And I remember feeling so free um, because, you know, we didn't really interact with many people. We spent a lot of time outside. I spent a lot of time camping. My dad and I built a greenhouse um, outside our, our small cabin and grew lots of food over the summer and my days were just filled with like cycling, swimming, jumping off piers, camping, hiking, growing food. Um, and I really felt so free. And I felt like I was just being myself and that I wasn't conforming to anyone else's version of what they wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And and then I would come back to quote-unquote city (laughs) and have to go to school and be like oh this is so different people actually have expectations of me here um and so then I started to throughout my life kind of just relate being on the land and being outside and growing food to being myself and so it's kind of just consumed more and more of me because it's still where I feel most like myself and I think I'll talk about that a bit more later (laughs) Thank you. The word that really stood out to me <clears throat> that you said there was, I felt free. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's really powerful. And that feeling of no expectations when you're, when you're out there on the land and you're just 100% yourself. That's such a magical feeling. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and now this, this question's a little less light. <laughs> um, in doing all of this work and it, it sounds like you've really been connected in this way for a long time and the relationship you've had with the land has been really authentic so i'm really curious to hear about some of the barriers and the ones that are both personal and systemic that you faced when trying to make changes to help others have that connection and really deepen their relationship with food mm. yeah i think Oh, there's so many things that I could say. Um, I think there's so many big systems that operate in this place that are inherent barriers. So I'll just like name a couple of them being private property, capitalism, leading to folks not having a lot of time, lack of knowledge. And yeah, just the world that we are socialized in, its intention is to disconnect us from the land. Mm -hmm. So it has to be a really intentional thing that we make space for in coming back to growing food and connecting with the land. So, 
and and even if you have that intention and that want, there's still so many barriers, like I mentioned, of not having access to land or or having access to even your own time if you're mm-hmm. um, needing to work so so much to to survive under capitalism. I think there's those things, and then I also think that as much of a beautiful and wonderful experiences it is to to reconnect with the land and to grow food specifically it's also a lot of work and not just like labor in terms of time and shoveling things and (laughs) caring for plants and growing whatever it's not it it is that type of labor but it's also it I have found that it has made me confront so many things that I was like, I'm not ready to confront that yet. <laughs> but the but like learning from the land and growing food um, really, really points those things out in myself, whether that be my lack of patience and my, my want for immediate things or um, my, my frustration when things don't go well and that what I allow that to say about myself in terms of being a failure. If, if one of my plants doesn't survive, like all of those things that I have internalized, it really, it really helps you to undo those things, but it's, it's maybe a, a process that is difficult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For sure. Wow. Thank you for that. You touched on so many different things on all levels. Um, Two things that really stood out to me was when you're speaking about how we're not the world around us and the systems are made for us to connect with land and it intentionally is working to disconnect us. And I think that that's so big and it really speaks to uh, so much, so much. And, you know, if we are connected with land, we want to defend it. And Mm -hmm. that's something that not, um, not a lot of the systems we're working in right now want us to do. Mm -hmm. And then I really loved what you spoke about around how, it connecting with the land in a way had you face a lot of the parts of yourself that you maybe weren't ready to face and I think that that is a really big part of it that people don't think about mm-hmm. and yeah I was actually uh when I was at the school yesterday I, I'm doing my practicum as a youth and family counselor at a middle school and I was talking to a couple of kids about my connection with land and I was telling them, like, you know how I'm the counselor here and, you know, when you have problems, you come to me? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, where do you think I go? And they kind of, like, looked at me kind of funny. Like, they, they would never think <laughs> that counselors, like, have counselors. Um, and then I told them, like, I go to the land. And, like, my mm. counseling is on the land. And they were all like, what? And I just spoke about that about that a bit. And so I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because it can sometimes be a hard process to start when you're trying to connect on a level that's very therapeutic for you. Sometimes people aren't ready for that, that deep mm-hmm. emotional connection yet, mm-hmm. which is totally fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sid, the next question that I have for you is that uh, we were chatting a bit in advance of this podcast about some of the things you've been thinking about around your relationship with land and growing food and you brought up this idea that I really loved about how growing food or working with the land in other ways as well uh, can teach us to deconstruct the gender binary and also challenge heteronormativity. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit more about your thinking around that. Yeah, I think I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but the land and being outdoors and growing food for me has always been a place of freedom. and. It wasn't until recently that I realized that that freedom was freedom from the gender binary and growing food and and being on the land in other ways is really a relationship. But the way that that relationship is governed by the land or by the plants that you're in relationship with doesn't uphold the gender binary or put me in any in any box. And so I. I've realized that, yeah, that's, that's what the source of freedom for me is. And I also think about how being a gardener or running a community garden or running a farm or whatever, whatever method you're using to grow food, you're holding space. And the way that you hold that space and the way that you govern that space is probably upholding the gender binary, whether that 
just be through how you're viewing the people that enter that space and how you're interacting with them or what roles different people have in that space and and how how people are being put in boxes in those ways mm-hmm. and um and it's just something that we all do because it's something that we've all been socialized to do and i think that for me having those moments where it's just me in relationship to plants or to the land or any other than human being really mm-hmm. um that's the moments where i have felt not gendered and like that space or that relationship has been governed in a way that I'm not having to conform to anyone else's ideas of who I should be and what I should be. And I think until you feel that freedom and that relief for yourself, it's really hard to think about how to create that for other people. So yeah, I think, I think that's the main way that it's, it's taught me to think about the land has taught me to think about those things is that um, it's allowed me to experience that that feeling of freedom, and and now I can go about thinking about how to how to provide that freedom and that space free of of gendered norms and heteronormativity for other people when I'm holding space. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, it's it's so powerful to hear you talk about how much you've been able to feel like yourself in relationship with plants and just with the natural world. Uh, and that's, yeah, it's such a beautiful thing that it sounds like you've been cultivating throughout throughout your entire life, really. Yeah, it's so inspiring to hear you tell those stories and how it all connects to the work that you're doing today. And you started to allude to it a bit at the end of what you were just saying um, about how through this personal healing journey of your own, um, you've realized how much being in connection with plants and with the land has really helped you to undo kind of these these social boxes that we're put into. And I love how you're already starting to think about how to create those spaces for others, like who come into the garden where you're working, for example, or, or other spaces that you'll create in the future. And so I'm curious if you could tell us a bit about, are there any ways that you're trying to create these really healing spaces for others through your work at the community garden? Like what are some of the practices you, you might try to implement uh, to hold that space for others? Mm. I love this question. Um, and I think that I think that I don't get to take credit for any of the any of the ways that the garden is a healing space because it's really it's really the the land and the plants that are are doing that beautiful healing work. And I just have to get people there and then and then the land takes it from there kind of thing is how I feel. But um I when I interact with students a lot, a lot of folks express the fact that they're really nervous to come out to the garden because they've never gardened before. They've never gotten their hands dirty or, or any of those things, or they don't know anyone. And, and something that's really important for me to express to them is, is that you just come as you are. And there's no expectation from us who are greeting you there. There's no expectation from the land that you have knowledge or that you're a certain type of person or you're physically able to lift large things or whatever whatever we typically think about needing needing to be able to do in terms of growing food or farming it's really really important that folks know that they can just come as themselves and with the beautiful tools and skills that they already have from living this life um and that they're welcome and and then once i get them there (laughs) the 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 rest kind of happens happens naturally but something some tangible things that I will say because that's a little bit more abstract um is that making garden spaces accessible is so so big and I think Laja you and I talked a bit about this but like making sure that there's seating around the garden in quiet and like beautifully tended and floral spaces for people to just have the space and time to sit and reflect on what they need to. Something that we're thinking a lot about recently is accessibility. So gravel paths and handrails and different tools that are easier for folks with differing abilities to use, raised garden beds, um, all those sorts of things because making it, making a space accessible says a lot about who's welcome in that space. Um, another thing that's really important for me is that when we welcome folks into the garden, 
we always start off with talking a little bit about something that we've learned that week in in an anti-colonial sense. And so sometimes we talk about safer spaces or what it means to listen to the plants or just like so many tif- so many different topics. And then something that I always do is I'm the first one to share my pronouns so that other folks can do the same. And, and it's been really cool to see like a couple volunteers who have been coming to the garden for a year plus, all of a sudden they'll come to the garden one week and introduce themselves with different pronouns. And it's so heartwarming for me that they feel comfortable to do that in this, in the garden space. So those are just some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like your whole team at the garden, the community that's created there has been super intentional in, in many different ways uh, to really try to make it a welcoming space, a safer space for diverse people. And I, yeah, I think it's so important, so many of the aspects you talked about such as thinking about the physical accessibility of garden spaces. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. often been striking to me in in different uh, community parks or gardens that I visit, how that often doesn't seem to be enough of a consideration. Uh, So I'm so glad to hear that that you're beginning to do that work. And I know we've had conversations even about uh, you trying to have like a wheelchair accessible uh, bathroom available at the garden. Which is a lot of work to get through a post-secondary institution um, and try to try to have those types of infrastructure projects happen. Absolutely. So, yeah, I've I've been inspired by your commitment to doing that type of work, and and I also love to hear about the fact that like when volunteers come to the garden, you begin your time together with sharing little tidbits of knowledge um, that's helping you be a better person in the world and a better person in relationship with land and with others. That's such a great practice, like just to create a community of continual learning uh, that we're all learning in all these quirky little ways as we go about our lives. And you spoke about it earlier as as one of the big barriers to food growing being this lack of knowledge, like the intentional de-skilling that happens under capitalism, where we're taught Mm -hmm. to be workers in one very specific menial job. And, And we've had a lot of fundamental knowledge about how to live in the world taken away from us. So to try to create spaces of, of relearning and unlearning together uh, is beautiful to hear that that's the community you're trying to create at the garden. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, what I'm really hearing from that too, is that there's a lot of effort to create an intentionally a space that's safe on so many different levels and creating safety, both physically and emotionally and creating like a vessel of healing and there you know you really can't just have that and expect that if you have plants there it's going to be healing it is really mm-hmm. about those little interactions mm-hmm. at the beginning that really open up the the world of healing in that space and kind of make you feel like emotionally safe in those moments mm-hmm. and judgment free you can show up wherever you are and just be with no expectations and I think that that's so beautiful and isn't the case for a lot of different spaces. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, you kind of touched, you started touching on this a bit, and I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this one because we have talked about it a little bit in the past. Uh, I'm really curious about how, um, in the past, you've said that you're dreaming of a lot about an anti colonial future. And I'm really curious about what that future looks like for you and how do you think growing food can play a role in creating it? I'm not sure what that future looks like. I, I definitely have big dreams and um, I, I've definitely started, defi- I have definitely started to think about kind of different pieces of that, but I'm not sure how they all fit together yet. And I, and I think part of that is that this world that we live in, not only is it set up to disconnect us from land, but it's also set up to make us think that this is all that there is and that there's nothing beyond this. And so I think part of the work of creating an anti-colonial future is starting to break down those thought patterns and and resist that feeling of trappedness within these systems and start dreaming about different ones. But that can also be so big and abstract and and not give me a sense of like, what is my life actually going to look like in an anti-colonial future? So I think one thing that is definitely important for me personally is, or two things, I guess, 
is more folks being connected to the land. Because like you said earlier, Laja, being connected to a place and being in relationship with that place makes you want to protect it. And also a world where the gender binary and heteronormativity don't exist. Patriarchy doesn't rule. <laughs> um, and that unfolds in the way that we interact with each other on a small scale and then and then eventually on larger scales, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking a little bit. Um, oh, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then how does food... How does growing food contribute to that? Well, I think that I think that growing food is a great way to build a relationship with the land. So that's one element of it. But I think about how growing food is just another way of holding space. And right now, the way that growing that growing food is being done and that space is being held is an occupation of that space and an illegal occupation of that space, um, especially if especially here in so-called BC, where we're all living and existing on stolen lands. So I think that how we hold those spaces fundamentally needs to change into welcoming so many more people into that space. Hannah, you and I last night were talking about even the notion of private property and how that system of private property needs to fall, but until it does, how can we still find places for ourselves to live while welcoming so many other people into those spaces and quote-unquote owning private property without holding it as private property? How do we grow food on a piece of land without mm-hmm. viewing it as our little corner that we've carved out of the world that no one else has access to and that the, the gifts from that piece of land are ours and no one else's? How do we start to shift that? And I also think that we also have to shift the way that we're we're caring for the land and interacting with the land. and. And the way that we grow food does that. So are we growing food organically versus not? Are we growing food regeneratively versus not? Are we thinking about permaculture and systems instead of monocultures and um, growing food in a way that's actually detrimental to the land? Are we leaving this world in general and while we're growing food in a better way than how we found? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think one of my favorite things that you just mentioned there was when you spoke about how you don't know what that's going to look like Mm -hmm. and you don't really know that full picture. Because I think that that is one of the big colonial views that people have is fully creating an image of what they want that future to look like. But that, Mm -hmm. that only puts limits on it. And I think once we start doing this work and unraveling our ways that we are currently working in, a whole new world will show up and it's limitless if we just let it be. So I, I really appreciate that answer. Yeah, yeah. And one thing as well that I hear in that is I've been thinking as well about this like very white colonial idea of how there's one mm-hmm. future and there needs to be this dominant idea of, oh, there's only this one way that things will be in the future. Because right now there is like a very dominant oppressive way of being that kind of subjugates mm-hmm. all other ways of being. Um, but I love how the uncertainty about the future also creates the possibility for infinite different futures that people mm-hmm. can create for themselves and their communities in, in different places. Yeah, that, that like openness to multiplicity uh, of different futures, I find really inspiring as well, that we don't need to have this one answer uh, <laughs> of what the future will look like. <laughs> and then we all have to conform to it. But it can be emergent and it can be diverse and interesting and beautiful. So I love that as well. I love how that leaves the future Thank open. Thank you to both for like kind of repeating back a little bit of what I said. Because I, I sometimes am in my head and, and having like these thought spirals, but also just kind of mind maps unfolding in my head. And I don't see how any of the things relate to each other and... And even in that a- answer I just gave, I was, I was thinking to myself, wow, that was really chaotic. <laughs> but hearing you both kind of repeat some of the key, key things back to me um, felt really affirming. So thank you both for that. Mm-hmm. There's actually, there's one other connection that's coming to me, Sid, from the conversation we were actually having last night in advance of this podcast. And how you're also talking about like the power of, of just creating 
space, like small spaces that feel different and fostering relationships with land, even if it's just a single individual or a group of people. And I really took inspiration from what you were talking about last night. And I think it was a teaching from Anishinaabe mm-hmm. ways of governance about how white colonial ideas of, of governance and of the future, of course, as well, we kind of see it from from a very like meta place to begin with. We think about having to change entire systems first and then fit ourselves into those systems. You were talking about how uh, Anishinaabe governance structures, at least in in some of the ways you've read about it, often can look about um, first at the individual and about how are we being in the world as individuals and what relationships to land and to others do we have and that that's the foundation uh, of governance or of existing differently in the world. So I can see so much how that can play a role in, in creating anti-colonial futures as well as we can get away from this idea of designing a different system and then squeezing ourselves into it, but instead trying to be different, trying to relate differently mm-hmm. and then seeing what comes of that. That's such an inspiring idea. And I've been thinking about it <laughs> kind of all night since you, since you brought that up with me yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking about it with, with my partner as well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for bringing bringing that into this space. I and I definitely have also talked to to Laja about this. But yeah, this notion that that we don't create governance from from the structure down, but that government governance, the foundation of that is um, how we govern ourselves, and that leads to how we govern our relationships one on one with people, and then that radiates outward from there. And it's such. Uh, I think maybe also. I've read or talked to Sarah Hunt about this, Dr. Sarah Hunt. And yeah, definitely an Anishinaabe worldview in some of the readings that I've I've peered into. And it's just so empowering to get to think about the ways in which we can carve out little spaces in the world that feel better and have that actually be contributing to, to the creation of a new future. Um, without having to to focus so heavily on the state or the the dominant governance structure that exists in this place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Like creating those relationships or those small spaces mm-hmm. that actually feel different. Like that is creating a new future here and now. Whereas we we were talking about said how you can go out in the streets and demand of the current colonial government that they create change and can do that for days and weeks on end as, as many of us have been involved in. And ultimately sometimes it, it can leave your life not feeling much different or not leave the world feeling much better that we exist in day to day. So it's important to couple those kind of big systemic actions or trying to create that type of change with like tr- creating mm-hmm. real change in our here and now in, in the ways we try to exist in the ways we relate to the land and in the relationships we create with each other. Uh, Cause that's definitely what makes my life feel more livable Absolutely. today uh, makes me want to stay in this world a little bit longer um, mm. to try to contribute to those systemic changes. And that definitely is, is a way of worlding of creating different worlds and different futures. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to read, listen to this episode. It's making my heart so happy. And I, like, I after just makes me so. Like, I feel so warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, this is a perfect segue because I feel like we've naturally touched on this quite a bit, but I'd love to hear how you are working through the complicated reality of being a settler and growing Mm. food on stolen land. It is complicated. Um, And I've Mm. been thinking about this question a lot and being like, what am I doing? And I think that I'm talking about it is, is the biggest thing. And in, t- in types of conversation like this, where I'm trying to dissect what that means. And, and Hannah, you brought up something in, in your podcast episode that, that resonated with me, where you said that we can't do this alone. Um, we have to do it with other people. This, whatever the this is, whether that's creating anti-colonial futures or thinking about sustainable futures or... Um, organizing in any way and and so in isolation I can't undo 
or think about the the complex reality of what it means to be a settler farmer growing food on stolen land. So I think that being in conversation and being in relationship with people has really helped me to tease apart some of those things and tease apart the ways in which colonialism wants me to be in relationship with a place and wants me to be in relationship with people and then come together with people and be on the land and be like, ah, that's not it. I'm going to start to do it this way instead. And mm-hmm. and when I say that out loud, that like what I'm doing about it is I'm talking about it. I'm like, wow, that doesn't seem, that seems weird. But, but Laja, you and I had this conversation um, or a conversation a little while ago where you were saying some really beautiful words to me about how talking to people changes you. Um, and listening to people deeply changes you. And then that in turn changes, changes how you be in the world. And, and I think how we undo colonialism is changing how we be in the world and how we be in relationship to people and how we be in relationship to the land and other than human people. And so that requires changing how we are, which requires talking to people and undoing some of the stuff that's, that's been solidified and internalized in our head. So I think that's that's one thing, but that also needs to happen in tangent with um, a deep listening and and a deep listening to people, but also a deep listening to the land, and and that for me looks like you know some of the things that I was talking about earlier of like allowing the land to help me confront some of the things that I don't want to confront, um, but it also can sometimes mean just like sitting in the garden for a long time or starting my shift at the garden, just taking an hour to walk around or to water everything by hand instead of putting in an irrigation system. So I have that time with each each part of the garden to observe and to listen to it and to hear what it needs from me that day. So I think those are those are the two two big things that I'm that's the space that I'm in right now and I don't think that's the space that I'll always be in. Um, but at least right now, I'm getting a lot from really talking to people and dissecting this with the help of other people and then listening deeply to, to those okay. folks. Into the- mm-hmm. Wow, perfectly said. And I think that talking mm-hmm. about it is so big. And right now, the narrative just isn't, and the narrative around growing food isn't always something that mm-hmm. is about relationship. And that's, something that you know we create through the stories we tell and storytelling and sharing and listening are such deep values to me and that's how we change our ways of being and then in essence changing our way of doing and acting in this world so I think that that's a step that people sometimes miss is just talking about it and reframing how we relate with the land is so important. So I'm really happy that you touched on that. Mm-hmm. And Sid, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're actually thinking about uh, a project right now of creating a zine around this topic of being a settler and growing food on stolen lands. And through that project, I think you've been chatting with a lot of people about it. I uh, is that true? Th- that is a goal of mine, and um, it's actually a project that I've I've yeah. said I'm going to do for an academic deliverable. So it has to happen. <laughs> Um, it does have to happen um but i'm i'm currently in the thinking stages about you know laja and i had a really wonderful and informative conversation i'm really grateful for that and it has given me some some starting places but i also it's these are conversations that i want to have with folks but i don't want to have to do it on in the timeline of like creating an academic deliverable so it might it might be a bit more disconnected than yeah. than me having this this zine that's actually intentional and a resource that is really informed by conversations with folks. It might just look like me handing mm-hmm. something in and then continuing the conversations beyond that and maybe creating something even um, that I like even more of it later down the line. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, creating a little project like that could even be a great way to to like sort through mm-hmm. some of your own initial thoughts around this topic and put them on paper in creative ways through drawing and poetry and writing. Um, very cool. Yeah, it's great to hear how much you're thinking about this. It's, yeah, such an important conversation. 
Definitely. So moving forward, uh, it sounds like you've, you've had this journey of learning and creating this relationship and creating action for a little while now. And so I'm really curious about what are some of the ways that you can suggest for other young people who are starting to grow their own food and connect with food from an anti-colonial and authentic way? How can they start that connection and um, ways for them to grow in a, in a different way that is really authentic and like you spoke about, like being free? Um, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is having a deep listening um, to, to the plants that you're growing. And, and going into that, knowing that growing food can be a powerful and, and changing experience, like it changes you. Um, and so I'd say that like the biggest thing is be open to that and, and start to view the plants that you're growing and the food that you're growing, not as plants and just food, but as gifts from the land and things, objects or beings that can teach you so, so much throughout the process of caring for them. And I think you'll, you'll learn a lot that way. And then I'll, I'd also say like this, this concept of deep listening has really been in my brain a lot recently around like, what does it mean to deeply listen to, to a plant or to the land and, and respond to that, especially when that kind of requires learning a little bit of a different language because plants in the land don't speak English. Um, so only through deep listening can we can we start to understand their language and, and the things that they're telling us that they need from us and the things that they're trying to share with us? So I think that there's, there's definitely that. And then I also think that um, if you are in a position, I, I genuinely think that currently it's such a position of privilege to be able to grow food. And, um, and if you're in that position of, of having access to land, whether that be a backyard or, or whatever it is, how are you sharing that with other people? How are you welcoming other people into that space? It's hard right now with, with COVID obviously, but, um, but beyond, beyond COVID and even right now, how are you, how are you sharing the knowledge and the beauty of those plants and the gifts that they're providing us with? Um, how are you sharing that with other folks and welcoming other folks into that into that process? Because because like we touched on, we can't do this alone. We have to do it with other people. And then, if you aren't in a position where where you have access to land and and where you have um, the ability to to grow food, I think Hannah, something you were saying that maybe one of your coworkers is is thinking a lot about is like how how can growing houseplants and um, being in relationship with houseplants actually be cultivating a relationship to place or to, to the land. So that's a, that's a really interesting, a really interesting thing as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got goosebumps from hearing that. I, I really appreciate some of the things you said there, especially around that uh, speaking with plants and how it's, they don't speak English. That relationship is not an English bound um mm-hmm. not bound by communicating in English and just words in general so I think that was really beautiful and sharing is such a deep value and recognizing that ownership is a new concept in general so I I really appreciate what you said there yeah and, and said I also love that you brought up um the possibility of like cultivating a relationship with land even without access to physical property, which so many of us mm-hmm. lack, especially as young people. Uh, we might be renters, we might live in apartments, we might live in a family home, we might live with tons of roommates, we might not have access to physical land to grow food in, in more traditional ways. So I love that you brought up, yeah, the work that my coworker Zoe Blue is doing, thinking a lot about growing food in indoor spaces and also composting mm-hmm. in indoor spaces, like with worm bins or indoor composters. And how that can really make you feel a part of natural systems, even in this really weird current time when when we lack access to physical land uh, in so many ways and so many people are prevented uh, or, or have barriers put up 
to them accessing those relationships. It's great to find all of these ways that we can still feel a part of the world. So I love that you brought up that idea as well. Yeah. Um, the next question that I have for you, Sid, uh, is a bit of a, an optimistic and dreamy one. Um, we love to ask all of the guests that come on to this podcast, what is one of your dreams for the future of Foodland? Uh, Foodland is a word that I learned recently, and I must credit uh, my friend Colin, who spoke to us from our project um, that he is doing called Just Food. And I love how we use this term Foodland mm -hmm. instead of food systems mm -hmm. um, to kind of play a bit with, with the idea of how we think things are so rigid and systemic. Um, so yeah, what, what is one of your dreams for the future mm -hmm. of Foodland, Sid? I love that term. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, I thought it's a fun one. It kind of <laughs> kind of spins the hierarchy Absolutely. Of over nature. <laughs> Woodland yeah. is its own like wild. I love place. that. Uh, uh -huh. some of my my big dreams are definitely for a huge shift in the way that humans interact with foodland. Um, and just can we please say goodbye to industrial farming like Good Lord, this is long overdue. So that's definitely like a place to start. But then thinking about farms and farming and growing food as community centers is something that I was like woke up dreaming about this morning. But what if all places where food are grown, let's call them farms for this podcast, but what if all farms were open to everyone and not private property and food was grown communally and they were community education centers where workshops were held and people gathered and had big meals together and and food wasn't sold for profit but everyone had access to food because food is a basic human right and and these beautiful farms that are also community centers and that are buzzing with life are have so many people helping out and have so many people's hands in the dirt and and there's a different sort of economy or exchange happening there and yeah I just think about what it would look like if we were truly in community around food and if we all had the chance to contribute to growing food or being adjacent to growing food and all had access to food that was grown beautifully um, and intentionally. Mm. That's my dream for a <laughs> What a beautiful future. Land. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that idea of reconceptualizing farms as community centers. I've never heard that exact idea. And that's, that's a really fun one to sit with. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. I'm so glad you bring up the point of how, how wild it is that we live in a world where access to food, like the, the form of energy we put in our bodies to continue existing, like access to that resource uh, is restricted by capitalism mm -hmm. and by private profit. It's absolutely wild to like take a moment and think about that reality and how different would our lives be if even food, like this one essential essential resource that we need just to continue existing if that was something that was communal and that we all participated in and enjoyed together. Uh, I can only imagine what a different world that would begin to create. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is always my favorite question because the ideas that come out of it are just so beautiful. And one that I've seen in almost every guest that we've had on this show yeah. is this idea around community and how that's really the end goal with food, and food is so attached to community. So I I really wish that we could make that happen overnight and uh, make yeah. these dreams reality. Yeah. So to wrap up, you spoke of so many amazing things, and there's so much that a person can take from this conversation. But what are the two biggest takeaways that you would want a listener to take from this, this conversation that we've had today? What are two main themes that you really hope stick with whoever's mm. listening? I think that the first one is definitely this concept of deep listening. And whether that be mm -hmm. deep listening to the plants that you're growing or the land that you're situated on or the people around you or 
the host nations, like the, the, the nations whose, whose land that you're on. I think that so much can be, can be learned and internalized in a good way from, from deep listening, um, especially to, to other than human. So that's one thing. And, and that requires, you know, giving yourself the space to do that because deep listening doesn't happen in passing when you, when you point out a plant or, or say hello to a plant in a very quick way or, or grow food on an agenda. It happens because you carve out space to, to do that work. And then something, something that I hope for people to experience, um, especially because it was so powerful for me, is any space, whether that be a, a food growing space or a relationship that you're in to the land or to plants or to another human, just I would love for all people to experience a space that is governed in a way that allows them to be free and free to just be exactly who you are, whatever that means or whatever that looks like. Because in creating spaces for other people to feel that and for ourselves to feel that that lightness and that airiness, I have found that to be so powerful that it, it makes me want to create that for more and more and more people. And, and what a world we would live in if, if everyone had the space to be exactly exactly themselves um, and in relationships in, in a really connected and authentic way instead of having to show up in a relationship as something that's completely opposite of what we want to be. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is exactly what I was thinking for takeaways. That's exactly where my head was at for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with this episode and I'm super grateful for both of you for being a part of it and just sharing from the heart. I feel like a lot of the things we talk about are so heartfelt for us and so mm -hmm. they can be so heavy. And so in this conversation, I'm hearing so much hope and strength and courage. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else that either of you wanted to say before we end today or any final comments at all. I think that I just want to say thank you to both of you because I have talked a lot with both of you and, and you know, Laja, you just mentioned that this podcast was like very heart-centered and we shared a lot of heavy but also a lot of hopeful things and it's really it speaks a lot to how I feel when I, when I talk to both of you that I, I felt able to do those things. And, and so I thank you both for, mm -hmm. for creating a space for us to have this conversation and, and it's bringing a big smile to my face. Yeah. I would like to say thank you as well, Sid. Thanks so much for, for your courage and talking about um, these really big world shattering <laughs> concepts that, that really challenged the ways we currently exist and, and force us to rethink um, what very different futures could look like uh, and how we can create those now. So thank you for your courage in thinking about this and uh, in dedicating so much time and energy towards creating more livable futures. And, and the same goes for you, Laja, of course, and in the work um, that both of you are doing. Uh, so thank you for being sharing of yourselves and for doing that really hard and really rewarding and essential work. I wish we were together so you could see me blushing. <laughs> I know. That's awesome. I totally get it. Uh, well, thank you both so much. This has been a beautiful way to start my morning. And I'm feeling so motivated and excited now. So, yeah, I'm feeling very, very grateful. Me too. Wonderful. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.